In part one of this interview, Coach Pointer talks about growing up in Chicago, all the basketball legends that have come from the Windy City, how she decided on Rutgers as her basketball decision, the NCAA likeness rule change, and much, much more. Check it out. Welcome to the No Referees Podcast, where we have unpenalized conversations with sports personalities on industry news, their grind, the game, and much more. Please check us out on our social media pages at No Referees Pod for up-to-date info on the show. No rules, no texts, no whistles. This is No Referees Podcast. Welcome back to the No Referees Podcast. I'm your host, Everest Akajobi, joined today by my special guest co-host, David Adams. We're joined in the studio today by current head coach of the UIC Women's Basketball Program, former Chicago Sun-Times Player of the Year. You can follow her on Twitter, at Coach Point, 2000 Final Four participant herself, Coach Tasha Pointer. What up, Coach? What up, Biggie in the building? <laughs> Glad for you to be here. So happy you're here. What's up? What's that head coaching life like? Ooh, team no sleep. Team no sleep. Yes, team no sleep. Sheesh. You know what? It's an honor to be the head coach. I think oftentimes most people want the title. Mm. They want the title along with, I would say, the material things that you get when you become a head coach, status symbol. But the part that I'm embracing is the work part of being a head coach mm. because days aren't always perfect days, but... Like, I can see where we're going. I can see that individually I'm growing. And then collectively with my staff, we're all growing together. Mm. So oftentimes people want to have or listen to the glory stories, right? Mm. Yo, we done made it. We finally done won a championship. And this is fantastic. But no one wants to do the tough stuff. Mm. The day-to-day, like, I got my feet in the mud. Mm. And right now I can't wash off the mud. I got to continue to roll around in it so that I can feel not only comfortable, but I can find my way to getting some water and then get my feet clean along with the staff. And that also trickles down to the players. And so it's never comfortable facing adversity and learning. But when you learn, you grow, and then that's when the real things start to happen. And that's when everyone else notices, but they don't see the the tough spots. And so... I'm excited because I'm in the tough spots, the tough season, but I feel the glory story coming. Yes. Right. And so I got great staff, and right. so they helped me make it through. But right. in those, uh, those tough spots, that's where the growth usually happens? It does. It happens because either you are relentless or you quit. And so when you're relentless, that means you learn from each story, you learn from each day, and you're not trying to run from it. Like, you embrace it. So for me... I feel like, oh, I hate losing. But will my behavior model what I value? I value winning. I value people. Do I come to the office? Am I still, hey, how you doing? Can I still laugh with individuals that I work with? Can I still laugh with the players? Or am I so bottled up that I value just winning with no relationship so no one can get along with me because my focus is only on winning? And so... I think that my behavior models, look, I'm a champion. I'm in it for the preparation. I'm in it for the practice. And I'm in it with my people. Now, do I have to, I I would say, ruffle some feathers? Absolutely, as the leader. But I embrace that, too, because ruffling feathers means I'm helping everybody else grow. And it's not a one-way street where I'm growing and I'm leaving everyone else behind because I don't want to tell people the real truth. The real truth we're all evolving, so I got to help you grow. And that requires ruffling feathers before we all hoist the trophy together. Because in order for me to be successful, my staff has to be successful. And I want nothing but the best from, from each individual. Yes, Coach. Sounds amazing, man. You know, you see that at uh, a lot of different programs. A lot of coaches don't have that type of mindset. So it's very refreshing to hear that coming from you, Coach. Thank you. Yeah, I think I think just hearing you speak, you know, you have that – you where you've been, where you're trying to go, and what your vision is. And sometimes that's going to cause, like, ruffle feather, so to speak. Now that you're the CEO, so to speak, of an entire program, 
you have to really shepherd that thing forward. And everybody mm-hmm. has to get on the train or basically kind of get off. Yeah. I remember one time an assistant coach that became a head coach told me the difference between being an assistant coach and a head coach was the six inches between the chair. What do you think about that? I think it's extremely true. So when you shift over six inches, you literally shift over into adulthood or mm. I would say parenthood. So when you're single or you don't have any kids, you get all the sleep. You waste all the time. You can surf the web. You can hang out and chill. You can stay out till 4 o'clock in the morning and wake up at 7 a.m. and like, oh, I'm good. I just got to shower up and take care of me. But I can get some sleep on the back end, right? And so I think that when you become a head coach, you don't waste time. Everything is purposeful. Whereas as an assistant, you're like, well, if we get around to it, if it happens, it happens. But as a head coach, you're like, no, it has to happen. We got to make the magic happen. And when you become a head coach, it's not I, it is we. So you got to make the magic happen, but you also got to make sure that you have the right individuals around you who want to make the magic happen individually and collectively. Because when everyone is at their peak individually, then you can collectively rise and ascend to another level where most people in the group would have never imagined. And so that's the same with a head coach. You have to dream big so that other people can see the vision, work towards the vision, and sometimes they add on to the vision and make it even bigger than what you could have ever dreamed. And sometimes you're not a part of the bigger vision. Mm. That's just the way life works. But you you want to be in touch. You want to know that what you did today had an impact on tomorrow. And so that's why I coach. That's why I teach. That's why I love relationships. That's why I love to be with people because people keep me going. But you got to find some me time, Coach. So how, how do you do no that? No doubt. got to. Everybody has to find me time. Everyone has to have balance. For me, my balance is my husband, my daughters. I have two daughters, eight and five. Um, for me, that's probably the core of who I am. Spending time with them, exploring the city, getting out to museums, going to zoos here in Chicago, and just trying to find out more interesting things about Chicago. And then that's when I'm trying to catch up with friends. If I'm not catching up with friends, I'm catching up with my mom and dad. As they're aging, I think you look at your parents differently. Now when I go to visit my parents, they're like my friends, except I call them mom and dad. And so for me... That's the balance for me and my me time because I get to learn more about my parents and who they are as people individually, mm-hmm. but I get to learn more about who I am based upon who my parents are. And so um, when I think about hard work and killer tenacity spirit, man, that's my mom. Mm-hmm. I never knew it until we became girlfriends. <laughs> so like my OG, shout out to my OG. Cause shout she out, what up, mom? What up, mom? <laughs> When you got the opportunity, that sense of pride you were talking about, that vision, and you got the opportunity to be a head coach, and it just happened to be in your home city, yeah. like, what was that like for the entire Pointer family? Oh, it's still unreal. Mm. It's still unreal because, so my grandmother had 21 kids, five sets of twins. And hey so now, Grandma. Grandma was getting it. She was grandma getting it and in. Grandpa, what? The Pointer <laughs> clan is serious out here in Chicago. But... When I think about my last name, Pointer, I know that I stand on so many of my relatives' bags. Mm. And so everything that I do, I'm trying to model what it was like for my par- my grandparents to leave Helena, Arkansas, and to migrate to Chicago mm. because they came to work with their hands, right? Mm. I get to coach. I get to coach with a sense of pride, spirit, yes. and not only have my parents my relatives cheering for me, but the city, the city that birthed me. So everything I do, I do for the city. I rep the city. Mm -hmm. I rep all the young ladies who play Chicago Public League basketball because those individuals saw something in me, and they still cheer me on, right? So it's not about me. It is literally about the city. And so I'm excited because once UIC, women's basketball, like, make noise, like, it's for the whole city. It's mm-hmm. not for me because we've had plenty of Chicago products, um, talented people who have left, but you don't see a lot of Chicagoans come back. Mm, right. And so we rep the grit you know, of the yes, city. Yes. We say, oh, we blue collar, we shy town. Mm-hmm. You know, that's important. 
But I think that tangible role models who you can touch, you mm-hmm. can feel, you can learn, you can grow with, those are the ones that matter because those are the people who come back. Mm-hmm. Not the people who come back for the summer. Like, that's chill. Tell me about the people who are here for 12 months. I'm talking about during the cold weather when it's below zero. <laughs> when, when it's real. you walk in down the street backwards. Like, tell me about <laughs> when your parents are like, you better tell put us on about the long johns. <laughs> like, when you can't wear a skirt outside because it's so cold, you can't wear that dress. You know you fired. Oh, man. When you put on that dress, but you can't really wear it out without having some leggings on. And if you're going to go to the club, you got to take the leggings off once you get there. But you're not walking. <laughs> you're not walking down the street no time between the months of December to February with no clothes on. That is crazy. That's just not going to happen. So that's the gritty Chicago that I'm from. Mm-hmm. That's what I like to represent. And I like for other Chicagoans to see that somebody who went away, returned, who I would say most people would say is successful but we're going to give back. Right. And when we give back, that's the win-win for all of us. Yes, yes. Now, coming back home, though, is that does that have any added pressure on you? Do you feel that? Mm, I, I guess the added pressure would be you want to win mm-hmm. for the city. I don't think, honestly, if I was still in Jersey, New York, if I was anywhere, I would still be wired the same. Okay. Like, it's in me. And I think that when it's in you... It's one thing to have skill, but it's another thing when you have skill plus talent and work ethic. It wouldn't have mattered where I became a head coach. It only matters that, like, the work is the work, and I'm going to get it in. The work is the the work. work. (laughs) Love it. So, Coach, you was talking about, you know, the Chicago Public League and the landscape of Chicago basketball. I mean, there's so many greats that have come from Chicago. Tasha Pointer, Derrick Rose. My back in the day, Rod Strickland, Terry Cummins was one of my favorite. Tamika Catchy. Mm-hmm. List goes on and on and on. Cappy Pondexter. Cappy Pondexter. Yeah. Uh, Dwayne Wade. You know, next to Texas, you know, I don't know about them New Yorkers over there. Quentin Richardson. We got bowlers, man. New York is the Mecca, bro. Don't do that. Mecca? Mecca New York is the Mecca of Mecca basketball, of bro. Stop it, Dave. Stop, Stop it, Dave. Let's not do this. Dave. Mecca of what? Who, who came from New York? Who came from New York, Like to the Hall of Fame right now. Listen. Who? Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. Yeah. He let's, was let's born in New York. Let's talk about it. Raised in North Carolina. Yo, listen, the greats are born in New York. That's, that's just like saying just, Kevin Durant from uh, from Texas because he played in Texas. That's, that's like man. saying Kevin Garnett is it from matters. Chicago because he came here and played a year. He started off with that New York water, though. Dave, 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 Dave. So Michael Jordan from New York. What are you saying? I'm saying if you if your first sip of water was from New York, <laughs> whatever's in you comes from New York, baby. So I was born bro. I was born in Kansas, but I grew up in Texas. So that makes me not a Texan. No, not at all, bro. I think anywhere you you are at makes you who you are. Period. <laughs> but where you were born, it matters. It's on your birth certificate. Oh, Isaiah, okay. Isaiah Thomas. Let Isaiah that name. Thomas. Let that name stand out. One of my favorite Chicago ones, coach growing up, actually. That since you're a point guard, mm-hmm. I know you probably loved his game. For me, with Tim Hardaway. What? He's so killer like, crossover. Killer crossover. Coach, how? To get, you, as a point guard, how often were you doing the killer crossover in the backyard? That that was my game right there. <laughs> Let's Tim go. Hardaway. But we can't say that I patterned my game after no one from New York. <laughs> yeah, who? I mean, Mark Jackson. No, he's gonna say uh, Steph Marbury. Oh, uh, okay. Steph Marbury. My, listen, listen, listen. He's a good guy. Yeah, we he got, is. We got. Um, I mean, but who else do you got? I can tell you everybody from Texas: Chris Bosh, Larry Johnson, Grandmama. You remember for your time? You ain't know who that is. Spud Webb. You know what I'm saying? He so thinking, Marcus Aldridge. I mean, the list goes on listen, and on. I feel a lot of pressure right now. He, he's thinking about <laughs> it. He, he don't even know. He 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 had a true New York basketball fan. You know what? I am actually, but um. <laughs> You know, I feel a little heat in here right now, so anything I say won't be right. If it's too hot, you know, get out the kitchen, I'm going to get out the kitchen. Yeah. (laughs) Coach, go back. I'll come back. All right, go back to Chicago Public League. What makes Chicago, like, one of the, like, unreal places for coaches and recruiters to come crop the talent out of? I think because um, it's a rich tradition of basketball players. And so with the basketball players, most of us are gritty. You look at Pat Beverly. Mm, wasn't, highly, wasn't highly recruited, but most recruiters, most people know when you come to Chicago and you get a Chicagoan, it doesn't matter female or male, like you're going to get somebody that's special who's, 
whose work ethic is typically good will not quit on you, mm. will not cry, will have bad days, wake up the next day like I can conquer all things. I think that most folks want to know that you got somebody that you can be in a foxhole with and you always feel like you can win. Mm. I don't think that I've ever seen a Chicago kid, like a Chicago public league kid who has ever gone to the next level and wasn't successful because that's what we do. Mm. We find a way to get it done. Period. We forgot about Anthony Davis. My fault. Oh, <laughs> you know, don't say anything else today. <laughs> Derek Rose. I mean, what? MVP. <laughs> the youngest MVP. We, okay, we right. forgot about Yolanda Griffin. You know, oh, one of your OGs. You know, but one thing I will say about New York and Chicago, we, we, we grow some of the, the best players because of where they're from. Could we agree on that? Because like, of where uh, they're from? Yeah, like, like you talk about the grit. Did that grit not get, add to your game? Yeah, but I'm just saying, New York City guards, they all flash, no cash. Ooh, million-dollar move, five-dollar finish. I mean, it's a flashy city, you know. Anybody (laughs) want to come to New York, they know what time it is. City's so nice, they named it twice. (laughs) You feel me? (laughs) Listen, listen, who who else you know got a a, a stadium right over the Penn Station where you could just hop up and go right into the arena? That is true. Millions of people are going every day. I know you're not talking about the Madison Square Garden. Listen, you know the, you know about the garden, bro. Let's not do this. Everybody have their best game in the garden, bro. This is a fact. You We're know like, what? Michael Jordan, right? It's the lights, I, bro. Uh-huh. It's the lights, bro. I, all I can think about every time the Chicago Bulls won, like, Ooh. we just killed New MJ, York. He loved playing in New York. I bet he do. Oh, that's his home, though, right? Yes. You remember the double I'm nickel? You, it's a little bit. John Starks? Oh, yes. You, you remember he, he remembers MJ him too ta- when he dunked on him. But that's another Dunk, but no know. championships. Yo, you're right, coach. You know what? You know, sometimes. Uh, that's like getting 50 without the win. You know, when you're the face of the NBA, you know, oh, you seem to get God. no calls. Or I don't remember MJ ever falling out of games. I wonder why. But uh, that's Smart enough. defensive player? Oh, uh, true. Mm-hmm. Or he's. I don't recall Patrick Ewing ever showing up for the big ones. Ooh, we. I remember he missed that layup back rim. Hey, man, what? listen, man. He, he, uh, he tried to finger roll that thing. He should have dunked that. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, listen, that's... that's... Yeah, the whole 30 for 30. Hey, man, man. You got to talk to Pat about that one. Coach, you played at one of the most historic high school programs in all the country. Yes, yes. Whitney Young. As a Texan coming into... The game, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you hear about Oak Hill, you hear about Christ the King, you hear New about York. modern day, mm-hmm. and then you hear about Whitney Young. Mm-hmm. And I never met anybody personally that went to Whitney Young before I met you because Ooh. I thought Whitney Young was like this magical place, like Whitney Houston or something, you know? <laughs> I didn't know what it was, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? So I just want you to talk about just Whitney Young and what that means to you. I would say um, Whitney Young helped change my life, changed my entire trajectory as a person Mm. because the neighborhood which I grew up, most of my friends, we talked about um, if if you go to college, if, if, and when I went to Whitney Young, it became... What college are you going to? What mm. university will you attend? So that completely, I had a complete mind shift. But I think the thing that really sold me as a young person at Whitney Young, it was about academics and athletics. Mm. And so one of the things about Whitney Young High School, it's a magnet high school, and you have to test to get into the school. Mm, okay. So if you don't get a certain test score, you're not admitted. And just because you're an athlete, they won't take you. Going for that. Yeah. Oh no, no, <laughs> Dr. Kenner. What? No. You'll be watching. Like, hey, see you at the other school. So Whitney Young was extremely competitive. So when I went to class, it was you couldn't sit in the back as just the jock and say, oh, well, I'm gonna go get twenty or thirty. We had to be extremely competitive in the classroom, and we had teachers who held us to a certain standard. One teacher that stands out. Is Miss Sharp, our Frances Sharp. I'm never going to forget her. She was our, our English, yes, English teacher. And so she taught English, uh, say, one-on-one. This woman would track all the athletes until you graduated. Wow. And literally in class, she would not let you slip. She ran um, at Tennessee State with Wilma Rudolph. Okay. And so her thought process was, if you're a champion in your respective um, sport, you will be a champion in the classroom. So we had teachers like that at Whitney Young who was pushing us to excel. She made sure that we took the ACT or the SAT 
at the end of our sophomore years, mm. or beginning of our junior year. So she wanted to make sure that as athletes, we were already prepared for the test and we wouldn't have to wait until senior year to, say, get whatever test scores that you needed to achieve. Honestly, she started the ACT, SAT prep training with us as sophomores or as early as late your freshman year. So I feel like Whitney on changed my trajectory because – it was a school of champions, and that's like the the slogan, mm. school of champions. School of champions. And everyone who has attended Whitney Young, we will still say to other people around the city, should have been a dolphin. <laughs> and we stand on that. We take personal pride in it, and we help one another. The cool thing about returning to Chicago as an adult, as the head coach at UIC, mm-hmm. I have plenty of my friends who still come by. They'll stop by, uh, visit with me, watch a game of ours, and they want to know how they can help our young ladies. Mm. A good example would be a young man named David Roberson. He actually came in and talked to our team about financial literacy. And so when you have um, classmates that are successful, we're always looking to give back and help one another out. And so who I wouldn't be who I am as a woman without going to Whitney Young. Mm. All right, so yeah, I had to do a little research, you know. Please that co- Google, that yes. me off. So listen, I bet, hey, the y- top y'all, y'all 10 right now, y'all there's, there's 100 lists, but oh, there's the top 10 of to players this. from New York. Oh, man. Yo, that, and I started off with this guy because we missed this, this train. This train's over Michael with. Jordan, Kareem oh, Abdul-Jabbar, God. Julius Irvin, oh. Carmelo Anthony. They were born there. Bernard is, King. Is that what you're saying? They were born Chris there. Chris Mullen. <laughs> And we're going to end it right there. Listen, we got Chris Mullen, go ahead. No, no, keep going. Keep going. You want to keep going? Keep going. Bob Cousy, Donovan Mitchell, Nate Archibald, (laughs) Stephen Marbury, Andre Drummond, now you, Mark that, Jackson, uh, Metal said, World Peace. That's about five people right there. <laughs> he five people right Kenny there. Kenny Anderson, <laughs> bro. I'm Jamal done with Masburn, you. Lance Stevenson, uh, bro, Lamar bro, bro. Odom. Go ahead, Rod Coach Strickland. How, how many? Danny Green. How many? Kenny how, Smith. Okay, I'll we be, could but, keep going. Pat Riley. Oh the my great. god, we could keep going. So, so, but you, I God, see, Sham, God. But you see the difference between a Texan and a Chicagoan. Mm-hmm. We know our people. We don't got to go research. We just listen, know our top of the dome. That's fine, brother. You know the true New York. There's a lot going on in New York. There's a lot going on. But this ain't about me. This about Coach Tasha Pointer. But she knows her stuff. I know my stuff. That's fine, brother. Listen, I'm well rounded. You I feel me? You know what? I feel like I'm going to sound like Coach Special. Did you play? Did I play? I didn't have to play, Did baby. You? Listen, some Did of the greats play? never played. They just know the game. We know this. Coach, coach you play, and when you was in, <laughs> you a funny guy, man. He really is. <laughs> coach, when you were playing at Whitney Young, mm-hmm. some of the players you played against that I researched, like a Candace Parker, Tamika Catching. You was the Chicago Sun-Times Player of the Year. Mm. So you was giving them fits or nah. Which one was it? Come Your on. name is Ringing Bells? How are you going to ask that question? <laughs> Listen, Tamika Ketchings and I played against each other in eighth grade. and Eighth grade? Eighth what was grade, that battle like? It was the City versus um, Suburban League Challenge. Mm. I can't even remember who won, but I will definitely tell you this. She made me a fan. <laughs> she made me a fan. But at the same time, Dave, don't look at me like, you know I was out in these streets. I know you was, Coach. Hooping, Dave. You was, you was Hooping. giving them buckets. No matter, no, yes. matter, no matter the gender, you was giving them buckets. Male or not, female. Male or female. <laughs> I, I was playing against the guys every day. Honestly, I tried to pattern my game after guys mm. because I felt like if I could play against the guys, then I could play against any female. But Catch, Catch was literally, she was one of those folks. I'm talking trash to her. And this is just eighth grade game. No lie. She doesn't say anything back. <laughs> Assassin. Like, she's not going to talk no trash. She is one track focus. I'm putting you in the bucket. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to play the best defense of all time. So that's the thing I remember about Catch. But she's just one of many because most, I- I'll tell you this, Catchings, along with most Chicago public league um, girls or boys basketball players, they always come back during mm-hmm. the summer, especially to hoop. So E.C. Hill, that's another legend who went to Whitney Young before my time. But she would always come back and hoop against us. Dominique Canty, All-American out of Whitney Young. Yes, yes. Dave, what high school you went to? Okay, never mind. Somewhere in New York. Somewhere in New York. the King or yeah. something like that. Actually, I uh, ended up at a boarding school. Hey, he, yes. probably, he, he probably went to Christ the King around the corner from Biggie Smalls, uh, uh, Uncle Daddy. Uh, hey, Jay-Z. This is all true. This is all true. Yeah. Nas. We got facts. It was written, you know. We got facts. 
Hey, Some of the know, greatest come know from New York. Let's cousins not with 50, that. right? <laughs> Listen. You see, all this hate, for the listeners out there, all this hate coming towards New York, there's a reason it's coming towards New York. You know, because uh, you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. Listen, oh, listen, listen. Fact. We're it's called big, the Windy City. Town, we blow huh? you right on up out of the city, baby. <laughs> listen, man, that's why we wear furs in New York. I got to tell you this quick story about going back to Whitney Young real quick. Mm-hmm. Because, all right, so when I get to town, when I get to Chicago, move mm-hmm. to Chicago this summer, again, I had always thought that Whitney Young was this... Like the Oz, Wizard of Oz or something. Like it was oh, this magical place. Now, this is real spill right here. Dave, I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. So coming from Texas, I always thought about, like I said, Christ the King, all these other big schools. Mm-hmm. So I, I get to Chicago. Fast forward this summer, I get to Chicago. I, had, I always like, oh, man, Whitney Young is somewhere around here. So I get lost. I drive one day, and I end up driving right by Whitney Young. I'm like, oh, that's Whitney Young. Whitney Young. And then I was like, oh, that's Whitney Young. And uh-huh. I was like, I thought it was supposed to be like this huge, elaborate, big time technical high school that mm. you hear about. I thought it was going to be like the whole 220 blocks or something like that. <laughs> no, bro. Like, I rode by I'm like, oh, that's Whitney Young. I was let down. And then what got me, I ain't going to, this what got me. Hold on, coach. I know it's just school. I'm not trying to talk noise about it, but. What got me was, it says, Whitney Young, home of the Dolphins. I was like, oh. <laughs> you, you know. the, hey, the Dolphins. Wait, wait, hold on, like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, wait, stop, 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 stop. This is why we say you should have been a dolphin. You, do you know that a dolphin is the smartest animal in the sea? No, but I'm saying it's. The I just mid- schooled you on something. I just. Yeah, I, I didn't know that, but I'm just saying. Oh, drop. Listen to the. Again, she, Dave, she, 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 she listen, a bitch with dime dropper. She a bitch with dime dropper. Smartest animal in the sea, right? So, we just trying to tell you how smart we are at Whitney Young. So that's why we're called the Dolphins, because the mascot it means something, right? Mm. So. Coach, let them know how many grades came from the home school. of the champions. Like, so I'm just saying, just, I just thought it was gonna listen, be like listen, the Bulldogs just, or no, no, you know, the, the Vikings. I, or, I'm gonna give you, you know, I'm gonna you some like right that. here. I'm gonna give you some right here. We had a former Dallas Cowboy who went to Whitney Young, Russell, mm-hmm. Maryland. Okay, so I'm gonna give you somebody. Okay, Katrina, dig what's her name? Adams. She's now um, famous. Tennis player, African-American tennis player. Oh, yeah. Went to Whitney Young. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. She runs. Yeah. Like, Google it, Dave. No, I think, I think she's uh, J- uh, Cape. Yeah, yeah, Google it, Dave. Go ahead. Katrina. Katrina, Katrina Adams. What is, what is she What is she got going she these days? <laughs> oh, oh, there is Adams. Oh, wow. And you in Chicago, too? Man, y'all might, you might be. A... Okay, I got her. <laughs> she is the CEO of the United States Tennis Association. Wow. Holla back. That's what them dolphins do, baby. Mm. So next time, when you when you drive past Whitney Young, you better know it's the home of the greats, all right? Listen, we hate hey, next time Put I some respect by, on it. Hey, next time I drive by Whitney Young, I'll be like, this is Whitney Young. Oh. <laughs> Yo, you ain't living your life right. Pick up your device right now. Well, if you're driving, stay focused on the road. And hit that subscribe, follow, semicolon, period, whatever you got to ensure that every week your eardrums is buzzing with our new episodes, all right? I'm subscribed. Yo, you subscribe? All right, we good. Let's get back to the show. Who would you say are some of the best people that you've taken from or that you've learned from or had the pleasure of meeting in this game? Mm. Pre Rutgers. Pre Rutgers. Oh. Uh, like pre as in before I started Bef- coaching. Before at before before you became Tasha Pointer, NCAA Tasha Pointer. Cause we're gonna get to that in a minute. Mm. I I think the person who would stand out is Walter Payton. Wow. Walter Payton. Um so I met him when I was Eighth grade. Wow. And so I'll never forget his uh, his talk with uh, the group I was with. He was just saying that in order to, to make a difference, like you got to make sure you stand out, but you have to be on every day. Mm. There are no times where, hey, I don't feel like it. 
you have to be ready to per- to perform on demand. Wow. And essentially, when you think about his career from the HBCU to the NFL, he had to be ready to perform on demand. He didn't he wasn't getting ready, he stayed ready. Mm. And I think that that's somebody who if I could say that I met and feel like, wow, that's like the message I still remember from eighth grade. Wow. 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 That's so major. That is major. That's wow. Major. Right there, Walter Payne. Walter I, Payton. I grew up a Walter Payne fan. You know, 34. Man. You know, I wore 34 than because of him. You know? a whole, man, listen, that's a whole different sport, but it still had, he still had a You know, um, he, he, he played, played for the Chicago Bears. You, you, well, you do no, know yeah, that. Know he, about. he won a Super Bowl here. Yeah, I know. Uh, Champions, Dave. Uh, I'm just trying to tell you. I've seen uh, two in my lifetime. New York Giants. Uh, Let's go, baby. Uh, Easy E, my guy. You want to talk about the Cowboys? <laughs> Cowboys, yeah. Uh, where are they? Uh, I can't know, say anything because that's, that's the another Bears, flashy like, team that you like to talk. It's another flashy team, but when it counts, hey, they got the, they, they, they fold, got the retractable roof. You know yeah. what I mean? Because you know, yeah. in, in Texas, it's always high, so we can keep that air conditioning in. You know what I'm saying? I hear you. Bro. Everything is bigger and better oh. in Texas. Hey, let's go eat. Except hey. for the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> but um. <laughs> so, coach, you you had this story career at Whitney Young. Played at the highest level, got all the awards, got all the accolades as a, as a Chicagoan. And then how did you end up making that decision to leave Illinois to take your next step at Rutgers? So, look, back in the day before the Internet and all that, coaches used to send you, like, a ton of mail. Mm. So imagine every day that you open up your mailbox, it's full. From wow. Every, just about every school, like, irregardless of the direction. But there was one school I really wanted to recruit me, and they did not. I was Mm. like, what is this? What school was that? Hawaii? Hawaii? Yeah. (laughs) trying to get out of here. I want that trip. He's trying to get out of here. Listen, Hawaii. (laughs) I wasn't expecting that. Hawaii. Hawaii. Wow. I've been out there before to University of Hawaii. Is it nice? It's actually really nice. Mm. Yeah. It's That's like on my bucket green and, list. Green and black. I forget the name of their uh, lo- their mascot, but it's really nice out there. Ah, yeah. So I think what was the deciding factor for me in choosing Rutgers was that Coach Stringer had a vision, but she also <laughs> this woman came in my house and told my parents, "Well, I can't promise her playing time. She has to earn it." I was mm. like, <laughs> <laughs> "Hold up!" I gave Hold a side eye, like, "What?" <laughs> This is TP we talking about. You don't know what? who I am? Like, I got to earn it. Okay. So once I was able to go to campus, and I visit Iowa, Illinois, Alabama, I think what really sold me was her vision, the team, the family camaraderie. Mm. But at the same time, she was willing to tell my parents the truth. And this is back in the day where um, the NCAA didn't allow respective colleges or universities to pay for parents to fly mm. and visit their school. So it was just me. And so I had to take everything that my parents taught me and see for myself, feel for myself, mm-hmm. and not just say, well, it feels good. This is the right spot for me. When I talked it over with my parents, I was like, this woman promised me nothing. In life, sometimes young kids want people to promise them the moon, mm. only to be fooled, hoodwinked by an adult. I wanted someone who could tell me, like, my things could be um, that essentially if I worked hard, I could get those things, but I had to put the work in. And so that's how my parents raised me, blue collar, from the city. Mm-hmm. No one gives you anything free. When I walk down the street now, and if I see someone who's homeless, people don't just stop and start giving you money. That's not how this city works. Right. Like, anything that's free is a fraud in Chicago, just about. <laughs> like, that's the truth. So... When a coach comes and she challenges you and say, I'm not giving you anything for free. You got to earn it. You got to work for it. Yeah. For me, it was like, ooh. You know what? That resonated because that's who my parents are. It's that Chicago grid. Mm. Yeah. And so I felt like she could push me in honesty. And then Rutgers is located in New Jersey, close to the media capital of the world. Piscataway. Yeah, Piscataway, New Jersey. Never heard of Piscataway until <laughs> I heard of Rutgers. Here we go. I was like, where's Piscataway? Piscataway. <laughs> but like... 45 minutes to an hour, depending on how you drive, away from New York City. I wanted to major in journalism and mass media, so I always knew that I wanted to, to talk the talk, right? Mm. They say, if you can make it anywhere, 
<laughs> New York, New York. That's for you, Dave. That's a shout out for you, I right? I appreciate you. you know, that's love, coach. You know, I know you're from the shop, but you, you lived in New York too, coach. I know you, you felt them vibes. So you you know, from New York now? No, no, no listen. No. But New York, no. But New York is part of her. You know, I will say I became a woman in New York. You know? So I'm going to give you that, Dave. Thank you, I became coach. A, a woman in New York. Overall, I thought that it was the perfect blend between someone who had a vision, who mm-hmm. had already done it before, but I was also recruiting teammates. Mm. I wasn't going into a vision by myself, so I recruited teammates because I wanted to win. And in order to be successful, you need the right blend of people who you know that work hard. Mm. And so when you're young on these AAU circuits and things like that, I was looking around like, I'm the point. If you're the point, you want to be able to pass it to folks. Coach, what do you think about this particular player and that player? And she was like, Oh, yeah, we like them. Oh, coach, don't worry about it. I'm recruit for us. <laughs> so that's how I ended up at Rutgers. But also, um, academically, I was like, it was, a for me, the perfect uh, match. And I wanted to get away from my parents because I felt like they had instilled enough in me where if I could do it, now was the time. Because as young people, some young people don't want to fail. I was like... I'm putting it all on the wood. <laughs> like, for real, look. Yes, yes. I had no safety net. My parents, they just worked hard. They didn't have anything. And so for me, the worst that could happen was I had to go back to the neighborhood. Mm. Well, if that's the worst, then I got everything else ahead of me. Mm-hmm. I went for everything else ahead of me. Right. So failing at Rutgers was not an option. At that time back then, was Chicago like Chirac like it is now? Did that play a factor of you leaving Chicago as well? Well, I would say... The, the crack epidemic was like the 90s. That's, yeah. that's when crack cocaine really took off, right? Mm-hmm. In most metropolitan um, cities. And so for me, I knew that I didn't want to stay in Chicago because I felt like I needed to get away from my environment. Mm. Um, and the reason why I need to get away from my environment because I didn't see any other successful people right. in my environment other than drug dealers. Wow. And mm-hmm. so if that was the standard... I figured it's got to be a better way to living than having to worry about who's walking up behind you to always guard it. And so I wanted to see how other people live without the pressures of trying to just survive. Because when you're trying to survive and live, you live two different ways. Mm -hmm. See, some people live and they're like, well, whatever happens, happens. And if I make it big, then great. If not, I'm okay with living an average life where... I don't have stresses. Well, I live in between gunfire and people just trying to survive, Mm -hmm. get the next meal. So that becomes a doggy dog world. And so it's always tension. It's always pressure. It's always um, filled with uncertainty. But for me, I felt like my parents put me in a good position where because of their hard work, I was able to go to Whitney Young. I was able to get a better education than what my parents received. And from there, I knew that going to Rutgers, most people in the Midwest consider Rutgers to be like an Ivy League school. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I thought I was smart. Hey, let me let me see what this can do. Mm-hmm. And I believed in our head coach. I think most student athletes, they sign or they commit to a university based upon the head coach. And so people typically go with folks that they're compatible with. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you'll go to a coach that will push you. Sometimes you'll go to a coach that is softer on you. And so for me, I needed someone who was going to reach me where I was, but propel me to another level Mm. as a young adult. And then she modeled it. She was a woman who had a successful career, was married, had kids, and a woman of color. That was my role model. And essentially, you don't really see it as such at 18, but when you graduate and you're 25, it's like, oh, these are the life lessons that she taught me. Mm-hmm. Not that you're trying to emulate it, but you carry those nuggets with you because in life you need them. And so what she taught me as a young lady, I still have those nuggets, and they're transferable from basketball to real life. When you reach, or not reach, but when you face adversity, how to overcome. And oftentimes, I think that's the difference between successful people and those who um, give up and quit. Mm. Every time I hear of uh, the head coach she, she's talking about is Coach C. Vivian Stringer. Uh, every time I've heard her speak in the past, it's, she almost is like, it's like, Dan, that's like my, my mom talking or like 
the 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 auntie talking that mm-hmm. good that good talking to you mm-hmm. that wisdom talk and so you got to be around that quote unquote wisdom talk every day for X amount of years at the highest level of women's basketball. Mm-hmm. What was those sessions like? Just every day being around her as basically the coach on the floor for her. I say I haven't met a person who prepares better or more than her. Mm -hmm. And so she taught me how to be a preparation coach and not just a preparation coach. She really taught me that in life you have to prepare and you have to be forward thinking and not just reactive. So her lesson every day was like she came to practice and she was ready. So she was Mm -hmm. proactive instead of reactive. And I think that that's a transferable skill just when you go into a corporate environment. Your boss shouldn't have to tell you, hey, I need you to do this. Proactive, I think my boss would like to see this. So let me make sure I have it prepared for him or her. Mm. So then when your boss sees that, it's like, ooh, he or she was thoughtful. They prepared that for me in advance. Oh, I can trust them with a little bit more. Now, as a boss, you're like, ooh, I can relax. I can let my shoulders down because I know that this person um, is already working or thinking ahead. So all I have to do is continue to push that person to be their best. But if I'm thinking ahead, they can challenge me to be great. And so I saw someone who wanted the challenge of, hey, I'm going to prepare, but also want my people that are either younger or my age to challenge me so I can keep growing because iron sharpens iron. And so she taught me to really, really have people that are around me that are gifted in different areas, but let them be. Let them be and always seek feedback because feedback is where you want people. If you were to ask my staff, I'm always asking them, so what you think? I don't have all the answers. It's with the people that you're in the mud with is where you all grow together. And that's why it's important that everyone keeps striving to be their best. I think that most real leaders, they want their people to be the best so that their people can go on and branch out and become better either at another spot mm-hmm. because the game is about giving back. Right. Hey, yeah, it's about giving back. <laughs> is there any advice that you could give any recruits coming up, like how to prepare themselves for the college game? I would tell them start by being mentally strong enough mm-hmm. to receive constructive criticism. And they will find that the constructive criticism is not really criticism. It's just feed forward information. Mm -hmm. Information where they get to feed it into their system and take it forward so that they could be the best. I think nowadays they play so much basketball without fundamentals Mm -hmm. that they're not being coached on how to get better. They're just playing games. And when you play games and you don't improve, there's a false reality of what's good, what's acceptable. So anytime you get a coach who wants you to master your craft, then it becomes a challenge for some student athletes. But when you get those special ones who are like, okay, coach, feed forward information. Oh, I got it. The the Candace Parkers, Maya Moores, Mm. like those are the special ones because the Tasha Pointers. (laughs) I'll take that. (laughs) They're used to getting information and applying it and becoming great. And so teach our kids. I'm teaching mine young and early that you gotta you gotta get the information. And I think that most young people, once they can accept the feed forward information. Uh Amazing, amazing things happen. You know, Coach. One thing I heard, I hate um, when someone says I'm 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 self-made. Oh, you know, self-made. it's like self-made, bro. So because I feel like at some point someone has helped you get to where you are. Mm-hmm. You might not remember that, but when you're already there. Mm-hmm. But what I like about you, Coach, is you never say me, me, me. It's always about my teammates or my staff or you know, it's that's very rare today for mm-hmm. people in your position, being the CEO of a team, basically. I want to say thank you for that because mm-hmm. we need more people like that. 
because I feel like it makes the world a better place yeah. when you invest in other people. Mm-hmm. You know, can you speak on on how you feel about the word self-made? Oh, I certainly don't think I'm self-made. Um, we got a I've, whole village behind you, literally. For real, literally an entire village. I think that oftentimes when people say that, that they're self-made, they're just showing you and speaking to their insecurities. Because when you have to promote yourself, then that means that it was always about you, but you have to like stick your chest out and say, me, 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 look at me, 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 me. You got to say it so much that you convince yourself <laughs> that you made you, right, right. right? But most of the real leaders that I know, the ones that I'm trying to emulate, the ones that I'm trying to stand out and be like, um, they always talk about their people, mm. like their people. No one remembers the leader that was me, 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 me. But everyone remembers the leader who focused on the people. And so most leaders who really, really lead and do it well, LeBron James, Michael Jordan. See Vivian Stringer. Yeah, like I never heard them talk about just them. Now, when you go to talk trash with your people, Mm -hmm. like you got to talk trash from a me-centered perspective, right? Right. Because that's the way that you hold your own in that court, right? right? But realistically, how many people really talk about themselves, those who are trying to achieve greatness? Like, you don't achieve it by yourself, right. so you never really talk about just yourself. You're trying to push others to the forefront, and that helps to elevate you as well. Coach, um, how do you feel about players being able to get paid for their talents? How I feel about Let me tell you how I feel about it. I know you was... A player back in the day, yeah, you was rocking you was that here. joint. You was, yeah. I know that porn jersey was everywhere. No, it wasn't. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'll you take probably it you though. probably didn't know it was everywhere. It was somewhere. <laughs> it was somebody somewhere. Got that somebody jersey. got that joint. You know what I would say? I would say that yes, players deserve to be paid because it's a big business, and you can't say that the amateurs are the only only ones who can't make a profit off their own name. So I do believe in that. I don't know how much you should pay each person. I know that Title IX, like, if you pay the men, then you got to pay the women. Mm-hmm. Um, like, when I think about Rutgers, for example, right, it was, it was a women's basketball school. Mm. And then, all of a sudden, football picked up. Men's mm. basketball hasn't been able to catch up just yet, mm. but they've been decent. But, like, so do you just pay the women at Rutgers? Right. right. And you don't play the football players right. and the ba- men's basketball players? No, the you can't do that. Volleyball players, right. all them, the so, track. If the NCAA can figure that part out, I think that everyone deserves to be paid. How much, I don't know. But I I think about tennis. Their 13, 14-year-old become pros. Mm. So what are we talking about? What are we talking about? about? Like, if they're pros, but they're not necessarily on TV, and they're still getting money from Mm. tournaments and events, right? Right. We're talking about grown men and women playing an NCAA tournament where there are millions being made millions. and they can't get $1? Oh, they can't sell we, a jersey? So now we just going to give you cost of attendance check. to mm. like Nah, like it's got to be some type of balance. And for men's and women's basketball and football, I think that it's represented by the underrepresented, those who who come from um, not as much. So if we're making millions off of their backs, then they need to be able to make some money off of their own um, talent. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, Coach, I do think um, there's a lot of money being made off these kids. Um, You know, a lot of people would like to say, oh, we're paying them through the scholarship. But it's like, honestly, if you're that good, you're not really going to be there for the whole four years. So what do they really, you know, what are are you really paying them the amount that they should be paid? You know, so it's a tricky situation, but. But I'm just glad the NCAA recognized that. Oh, they didn't recognize it. They were forced to. Yeah, they were forced to, but at least that's a step in the right. Because back in the day, in the mid-90s, or late 90s, uh, O'Ban- and, uh, Ed O'Bannon, you know, he came to the forefront with the whole EA Sports using his likeness. So, yeah. I mean, he's been fighting for that. Since yeah, I'm kind of mad at him. They haven't made an EA Sports since then. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. I mean, even if you had 2K, so. No, I'm talking about uh, NCAA football. It's, oh. it's terrible. But you got to think, if he wouldn't have spoke up, right. 
with they're selling their video game with his face, mm-hmm. his ball head, right. his jersey, his number. Like I this. mean, they know it's him, mm-hmm. but he can't get no dollars, no dollars off of that. Oh, that's that's crazy that's to me. Real. So I think the NCAA nowadays they recognize that something needed to be done. Well, this might actually bring it back now. Yeah, so it might I think help out. and also like kids, like you said, like the tennis players or the golfers or the mm-hmm. the non revenue generating right. sports, they yeah. can they can put up a YouTube channel and make money on make it. Money they can go right. to a, a big box store and do mm-hmm. autograph signing if they want to and make money off of right. it. So yeah. those non revenue generating sports are not feeling left out because obviously we know football, men's women basketball are most of the time the breadwinners of yeah. these big programs. Right. So, but at least everybody can get a chance to eat. Mm-hmm. You may have a, a diver that may be an Olympian, mm-hmm. and you know he may want to go hold a clinic somewhere, mm-hmm. and he can True. get he he can he or she can make some money off of that. Yeah. So I feel like now that everything is moving forward, like you like coach, like you said, we don't know the answer what it's going to be just yet, but. Some conversation has been started. The conversation is alive and well and on the table. Yeah, and I think that's half the battle. Like, the conversation has to take place. Mm-hmm. I think what happened with Adidas and a number of um, NCAA men's basketball assistant coaches who have taken the fall for um, people being paid illegally, that that's just a part of a system. Um, back in the day, we used to have numbers, right? People used to run numbers mm-hmm. instead of the lottery, right? right? What's the difference? Gambling is gambling, right? right. Yep. Paying people is paying people, right? right. Mm-hmm. So they weren't amateurs in the first place. Exactly. Ooh. So right. under table, like A getting paid? A dropper. Yeah. Or on top of the table, getting paid. Let's just put it on top. So mm-hmm. they have pretty much made uh, number running illegal, Right. Right. Same with the NCAA. Like, let's get it from underneath, put it on the table, and then everyone can move forward. Yeah. Right. Is it is it as corrupt in women's basketball as men's basketball? No. Not yeah. even not even a percentage. You see how quickly I said it. <laughs> no. No thoughts no. into no it. Thoughts. <laughs> no. I mean, somebody got to be. You know the old old phrase: "You're not cheating, you're not trying." So yeah. But here's the thing: how much money is really in women's basketball? Mm-hmm. Now there is some money right. in it, but. The stakes are not as high as it is in men's basketball. So that's why I don't think that the women's game has been polluted or um, clouded with um, any type of, I don't know, breaking rules, Mm. NCAA rules at that. Because it hasn't taken off Mm. just yet. And now our history of women's basketball is well behind Mm -hmm. men's basketball. And there are more guys that are watching and things like that. But... Not enough where they're getting ready to... Cut that check. Yeah. They're not cutting the check. <laughs> Might get you a pair of sneakers, a T-shirt. Your mama can't get a new house. You know what I'm saying? You don't get a monthly check up right. in here. That's in the monthly allowance. Right. right. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of the No Referees Podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this show. And rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on social media at No Referees Pod. Till the next episode, we out.